Amen. It is a privilege to bring our needs and our yearnings and our questions to our God to know that he receives us as his dear children and uh, he answers our prayers. He carries us. He leads us. Our college students are soon to depart. Uh, as Paul mentioned, you'll be leaving on Saturday with a couple in tow going down to Alabama. Claire is leaving. Claire is here this morning, but is leaving um, this afternoon after church off to Missouri. So we want to keep our college students in prayer. Liz is going to be leaving us. And uh, we just want to entrust them to the Lord and ask him to lead them and to use them and to honor his name and, uh, in, in them as well. We're in Mark 4 this morning. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to Mark 4. Uh, I don't know. I guess we'll be having it up. We, 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 will, we will have it up here. Okay, well, that'll be good. We're in Mark 4. We're going to be looking at a passage in Mark 4. And um, it's a passage that invites a lot of thought. Keep your Bible open. It's a, it's a, it's a matter of fact, the sermon is titled, When Storms Come. I think God has a sense of humor. Uh, we just had a hurricane march through on Tuesday. And uh, we all were astonished at the power of the wind. And of course, the larger storm which we are facing and enduring is the COVID crisis which engulfs our nation and which um, requires us to turn to our God and trust in our Lord. Um, so those, that's sort of the context of a message entitled, When Storms Come. Let me remind you of one of the blessings of childhood. When you're three years old and you live in a normal, healthy, wholesome family, you snuggle into bed without any worries or cares. You're not worried about the power being out of the air conditioning needing repair. You're not worried about that tax deduction that might not be right. Without any worries, you snuggle into bed as a three-year-old and fall asleep. You fall asleep because you know, you know there's someone bigger and stronger and wiser than, than you that's in charge. Mom is downstairs, dad is downstairs, and you're safe. And we as adult Christians have the same assurance. Doesn't Psalm 91 say, he will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge? Now this is a passage that's not telling us that God has wings or feathers. It is a passage using poetic imagery to compare God to a, to a protecting bird, uh, a mother hen. It is uh, the reaction of a mother bird to spread her wings over her eggs, as the case may be, or over her chicks, Whenever a predator appears, 
those wings spread. The chicks are under the wings and they are safe. It's amazing the courage of mother birds. Uh, you, can, you can YouTube, <laughs> you can go onto YouTube and enter mother bird protecting her chicks. And it's amazing what you can see. Let's see one of those little clips right now. You see her spread her wings? Her eggs are there. That was a tractor. The tractor knew the bird was there and kindly lifted his tractor a little bit so as to not hurt her or her eggs. But she didn't flinch. That's the mother bird. And that's the image that God uses in Psalm 91. Under his wings you will find refuge. Our God is our protector. And so we, like a little child, sure that someone else is in charge, someone stronger and wiser and better, we ought to have complete confidence as we go to sleep as well. And yet, we are troubled. Let me tell you about Wayne and Melanie. Wayne and Melanie are friends from Oneonta, and Melanie has been sick for a long, long, long time. Melanie has not been in church for years. Wayne, her husband, has also in recent months been hospitalized and out of the hospital and then back in the hospital. We are able to keep in touch with these prayer needs through our prayer chain uh, at our church in Oneonta. Well, Recently, as these prayer updates came to us, we learned that Melanie had also contracted COVID. And then we learned that she was in the hospital with COVID and with pneumonia. And then we heard an email from Pastor Phil in Oneonta saying that uh, Melanie had died in the morning and that evening the same day Wayne also had died. Um, the same day. So where are those wings? Can you get COVID and pneumonia under those wings? Can you die under those wings? Can you lose your job under, the under those wings? Can your child be killed under those wings? With questions like these in our minds as we reflect on Psalm 91, I'd like us to look at Mark 4 and think about this passage as well. Mark 4, beginning at verse 35. 
That day, when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drowned? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So, as evening came, Jesus directed his disciples to go to the other side of the lake. They're, they're going from the west side to the east side of the lake. And it's interesting to notice all the details. If you compare Mark's account with Matthew's and Luke's, you see that there are more details in Mark's account. He mentions the other boats that, that went along with him. He mentions the time. It was as evening came. He mentions where Jesus was asleep. He was asleep in the back of the boat, in the stern. By the way, we shouldn't get an impression that these boats are 50-footers. You know, we use a term like the stern. It sounds like it might be a big boat. We actually found, in 1986, a, one of these boats was found at the bottom of the Sea of Galilee, and it dates to about the first century A.D., and that boat, uh, that fishing boat, is about 27 feet long. And it's even called the Jesus Boat because it is probably a good model of the kind of boat that Jesus and his disciples were, were using, a fishing boat, about 27 feet long. Well, it's interesting that all of these details are in Mark's account. Mark, of course, was not there. He was not one of the 12 but he got, certainly he got these details from one of, the, uh, one of the men who was in the boat with Jesus. Well, interestingly, the disciples were obeying the Lord. They went off um, in the boat, crossing the, the, the sea exactly as Jesus had told them to do, but obedience does not guarantee immunity from trouble, does it? because a furious squall came up. This is common in the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, by the way, is the lowest freshwater lake in the world. The Sea of Galilee, uh, the Dead Sea is lower, but the Dead Sea is not freshwater. The Sea of Galilee uh, is surrounded by hills. And uh, there are deep-cut valleys, and the, the combination of the rising uh, warm air and the rushing in cool air often produces these sudden storms, and sometimes they can be terrific. And this was a furious squall, is the way it is translated. Um, and notice it says that the waves broke over the boat, and the boat was nearly swamped. The boat was filling with water. Now, these were experienced fishermen. I mean, at least four of them were. 
uh, Peter and Andrew and, and uh, James and John were experienced fishermen and they were afraid. Uh, they were battling against the sea, against the uh, water and the wind and they were losing. And Jesus was asleep on a cushion in the stern of the boat. This may have been a rower's cushion of some kind and Jesus is asleep. He must have been exhausted in spite of the storm. Jesus is sound asleep in the back of the boat. Well, they say to him, Teacher, are we to drown for all you care? Verse 38. That is uh, an interesting, it, it's really kind of a rebuke. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a reprimand. They are impertinent with Jesus. I think this uh, probably... It probably indicates that they really don't understand yet who Jesus is. That is, they see him as a man, an amazing man, a prophet. Uh, he uh, has miraculous powers, but they don't yet fully understand. They, they reprimand him, rebuke him in the way they address him. Well, Jesus wakes, and you know, you and I, if we were suddenly awake, we would... Um, we would, you know, run across the wet deck and grab a tiller or grab a rope and try to help and maybe utter a frantic prayer, but that is not what Jesus did, is it? <laughs> Jesus stood up in the boat and spoke to the wind and to the waves, Quiet! Be still. Now, the disciples might have dismissed that as the confusion of a, a man who had just been wakened from sleep, but, uh, but for what happened next. The storm stopped. The wind stopped. The waves, the sea calmed. How many of you went out into the backyard on Tuesday and commanded the wind to stop? doesn't occur to us, does it? We certainly can do no such thing. But that's exactly what the Lord did. And then he rebuked them. He said, why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? The Lord expected them by now to understand that they could trust him to protect them. And now, now, they were afraid. If they were afraid before, they are more afraid now. Can you imagine this? I, I don't think it's possible for us to imagine this or adequately appreciate what it would be like to, to see Jesus speak to the wind and to the waves. And they obeyed him. They did what he said. The, the wind stopped. The sea calmed. The storm ended. Notice what, what the text says. It text says they were terrified. The, 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 there are three Greek words that, that are translated in that one word. It's a very strong expression. They were filled with terror at this. Filled with terror. And they asked, who is this? 
Who is this? Who does that? Now, back up and think, uh, look at this from the perspective of Mark, the author. Mark, the author of this gospel, wants you, his reader, you and I, as his reader, to read this passage and ask that very same question. Who is this? Because Mark, the author, is convinced and he wants to convince you that Jesus is the very Son of God, the Savior of the world, who can save you from every storm and who can save you from sin. He can save you from everything. Mark is telling you to trust in this Savior. Mark is teaching us that Jesus is the Lord of the storm. Very early on in the history of the church, this passage was, was taken to be profoundly significant for whatever need the church was facing. Some scholars think that Mark's gospel was written to address the persecution that Christians were facing in Rome early in, in, in the reign of Nero. If that is true, then persecuted Christians in Rome would have seen as they read a passage like this that Jesus is with us. We're not alone and he will protect us. He will be with us as we face the danger and the difficulty of persecution. We can go a little deeper into this passage and reflect on it. And we can see a cosmic confrontation here. I mean the sea in turmoil presenting chaos is a very ancient uh, symbol, uh, meaning uh, the dangers that men and women face. The forces of the cosmos itself are arrayed against Christ. We might see Satan at work here in creating this storm. Now before you get troubled by my saying that, let me remind you that the Bible does teach us that sometimes Satan is permitted to use the forces of nature for his purposes. As, for example, when the storm struck the house where the children of Job were celebrating, the storm struck the house, the house collapsed, and Job's children were crushed. Satan is sometimes permitted to use the forces of nature for his evil purposes. We might see since Jesus is going everywhere, binding the strong man and freeing people from the grip of Satan, we might see a cosmic attack here. It doesn't say it, and it may not, may not be in the text. It may, however, be behind the passage. If so, this is a, what we call a theophany, a, an appearance of God. God alone is the one who can speak to the wind and the wind will obey. God is alone, the owner of the sea. Only God can do what Jesus does in this passage. And his glory, his power is manifest in a passage like this. Satan may attack but he will never overcome. He will always be defeated. Jesus muzzled the wind. 
and the sea by his word. Oh, I forgot to mention that one of the things that suggests the possibility of this kind of a confrontation with Satan is that the words rebuked and quiet be still are the very same words that Jesus used in chapter 1 to free a, a man from a demon. Quiet, be still, out of him. And so there might be an allusion to a confrontation in this passage also. Well, certainly the lesson here is that Jesus has power over all the forces of chaos and can rescue us from whatever may attack us, from whatever storm that may come against us, no matter what, no matter when, no matter where. You remember that Psalm 91 speaks about the angels protecting us. Remember that passage in 2 Kings when Elijah, the Arameans were, were frustrated because someone was telling the king of Israel everything that the king of Aram was doing. And so the Arameans, frustrated, were out to capture Elijah, or Elisha, it's 2 Kings 6, it's Elisha. And um, so they sent an army, chariots and horses, to get, they surrounded the city of Dotham where Elisha was and, and um, they, uh, they're going to they're capture him. And uh, the, the servant wakes up and sees, <laughs> he sees this, this army all around the city and he's terrified. And Elisha prays, Lord, open his eyes. Uh, first of all, Elisha says there are more who are with us than there who are with them. And he says, Lord, open his eyes. And then the servant's eyes are opened and he sees the hills are covered with chariots of fire surrounding Elisha in that, in that passage. And we are reminded the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. So our God is with us to protect us. If all of this is true, if Jesus silenced the storm and can silence any storm, then why is it? We have, we have questions. Why has, does he sometimes not save us? Why do storms sometimes permitted to destroy us? Sometimes after a storm, people are gathered together at a cemetery. Why? And there are, there are countless examples. I mean, let me give you a couple of examples. Think of Job. Job and his wife had seven sons and three daughters. And they loved their children. Do you love your children? Of course, we love our children with our very lives. They loved their children. And all of them were feasting together at the, at the home of the oldest son and a storm struck the house and the house collapsed and all ten of their children were destroyed in a single day. And we could ask, where are those wings? Let me tell you about David Goodemote. David Goodemote was a friend I uh, got to know in Buffalo. 
David Goodemote was the director of the Child Evangelism Fellowship. And as I got to know David a little better, I learned more about him. I learned that he was married for the second time. I learned that David had, um, had been a pastor. And then, eventually, I learned what had happened. There had been a fire, and uh, his wife and two daughters had died in the fire, in the parsonage. David was still faithfully serving the Lord, and yet he had suffered this unspeakable tragedy in his past. And we ask, where were those wings? Can you lose your wife and your children and your home under those wings? What is, how are we to understand the promise of protection? Um, I'm going to omit another story and just remind you of some biblical examples. Um, think about Isaiah. Isaiah was a man of God who gave us the greatest prophecy, perhaps the greatest prophecy of the Old Testament. A man of God. And yet Isaiah was executed, killed, maybe sawed in half by the evil king Manasseh, who was the son of Hezekiah. Or think of John the Baptist, dedicated to God, serving the Lord with his whole life. And he was beheaded because of a drunken king's promise to a dancing girl. Where are the wings? Where is the protection? How are we to understand Psalm 91? How are we to understand this passage where the Lord Jesus rebukes every force arrayed against his disciples and rescues them? Why does God sometimes protect us from storms and sometimes not. It is not so much that believers suffer in this world along with everybody else. I mean, if believers were always protected from floods, like Noah and his family were protected from floods, if every time uh, someone pointed a gun at a believer, the gun just turned to salami, if, if storms always passed us by, if there was a blanket guarantee against every disease and the acts of terrorists and every form of hatred, then there would be no problem with church growth. <laughs> the church would be filled with people, but the churches would be filled with people for the wrong reason. They wouldn't be trusting in the living God, but trusting in a bodyguard bodyguard of their choice. So, well then, how are we to understand Psalm 91? And what are we to learn from Jesus' protection in this passage where he delivers them from this storm? Does God always protect us from every form of attack? Psalm 91, with its promise of protection, expresses one of the experiences of the believer. We've all had this experience. Many, many times, the experience of Psalm 91, where we have prayed 
for God's protection. We have received God's protection, and then we praise him. I mean, Psalm 91 is an expression of praise and thanks for God's protection. How many times have you prayed that God would give you safety in this journey, and as you've arrived safely at the, at the end of your journey, you thank God? And sometimes you're like us. Sometimes those journeys may have involved a very dangerous close call. I mean, it was very dangerous. But you were protected. And you thanked God. Well, Psalm 91 expresses one of the experiences of our, of our walk with God. But Psalm 91 is not the only psalm. The Bible, Scripture interprets Scripture as one of the fundamental principles of biblical reading. Uh, Jesus in this passage, protected his disciples from death. He protected them from harm. But Jesus did not always protect his disciples from death. Remember that in Acts 12, Herod had James, the son of Zebedee, killed. Remember that Peter was crucified may have been crucified upside down, we are told. Remember that Paul was imprisoned for years, imprisoned a second time, and then was executed. And these deaths brought great pain to the church and great pain to those who loved these men very dearly. So Psalm 91 expresses one of the experiences of God's people, but there are other psalms on other days and other experiences, other kinds of things are written. Some of them laments and crying out to God, where are you, God? Please help us, God. And so Psalm 91 must be read in the light of all of Scripture. So how are we to understand the promises of Psalm 91 and how are we to understand this passage before us? Well, there's a couple of things I want to emphasize as we think about this. First of all, recognize that Jesus, the Lord, is with us in the boat. He was with his disciples and he is with us. That's what we so emphasize. What is that name that he has given we celebrate at Christmas time? Emmanuel. God is with us. Matthew's gospel begins with that word, and Matthew's gospel, the last sentence in Matthew's gospel is, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. God is with us. Jesus is with his disciples in the storm. And the Lord Jesus is with us. We need to take that deeply into our hearts. Do you remember when Nebuchadnezzar threw the three young Hebrew men into the furnace and they were not destroyed and Nebuchadnezzar looked into the furnace and he said, I see four men walking around in the fire. And Nebuchadnezzar said, one of them looks like the Son of God. He is with us. In every trial. That's the message of the gospel. Jesus came to be with us. And Jesus came and he longed to gather the people together. 
As a matter of fact, do you know what Jesus said? He said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often have I longed to gather you together as a hen, hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. Jesus said that. Instead, they took Jesus outside the city and they nailed those wings to a crossbeam. Jesus is with us. He came for us. Jesus endured every evil that can be thrown against us. He endured it all and more. And Jesus has suffered on the cross in our stead to guarantee, to guarantee the end of our suffering. He was crucified, he was raised again, and his death and resurrection in our place is the wonderful news. It is good news that guarantees the end of our suffering. Psalm 91 and this passage in Mark 4, in light of all of Scripture, I think we can take as promise of protection in an ultimate sense. That is, there shall no final evil befall us. There will be no ultimate victory of evil. Under his wings you will find refuge. Under that cross we find refuge. We are like chicks who run under the wings of the mother bird. The forces of evil beat against those wings. The pitchforks of the evil one, rain and hail and and falling tree limbs. When evil has done its worst, the wings may be bloodied and broken, and we may be roughed up. But those wings have never folded. In the end, it will be all right because those wings have never folded. They are spread out to be wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. And though we may be hurt, we will never be crushed. Ultimately, ultimately, evil will be crushed the Savior will win. We will be with the Lord forever. That is the guarantee. We take joy that Christ is with us in the storm. We take joy that Christ is still Lord of the storm. Remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, as he was describing his return, he said, the love of most will grow cold. Children will betray their parents and parents will betray their children. And they will, all men will hate you because of me. And he said, they will put some of you to death. That's Luke 21, 16. Luke 21, 18 says, but not a hair of your head will perish. Verse 16 says, they will put some of you to death. Verse 18 says, not a hair of your head will perish. That, I think, helps us understand the promise. God's truth will prevail, and we will be safe.
The wings of God protect us. This is not a simple truth, but it is the truth, and we trust in this truth with all of our hearts. Our Savior will keep us. This morning, I'm going to conclude in prayer, and I want to conclude in prayer remembering Gary and Christine. They have asked us to pray for them. Uh, Gary called one of our deacons this last week and was very distressed. We want to pray for Gary and Christine and ask you to pray for them. And we want to pray for our college students as they leave. Let me just lead us in a concluding word of prayer. Our Father, we bow before you and we thank you for your word to us. Help us, Lord, to be good readers and interpreters of your word to us. Father, we thank you for the promise, the secure promise that nothing can ever separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can ever prevail against you. Father, this morning, we do commit Gary and Christine to you. You know exactly all of our needs, Lord. You sustain your people. You love your people. You hear our heart cries as we call unto you. You know our needs. You love us. How I pray, Lord, that in their, in their time of need that you would bless Gary and Christine, that you would be very near to them, that you would lift their hearts and encourage and strengthen them. I pray for Tom Bailey. Tom is, has a test tomorrow, and I pray for your blessing on Tom as he goes to the hospital. Father, we do commit our college students to you, Claire and Tim and, and uh, Erica and Liz and, and uh, all the students who are off to school. We just commit them to you, Lord, and pray your grace and blessing and help Lord, use them. Protect them, we pray. Lord, in this time when so many measures are being taken to try to protect us from the spread of the virus, we pray for your protection for our students, your guidance for college uh, administrators. We pray for your protection. We pray the same for ourselves, Lord, and our loved ones. We are in your good hands, and we trust in you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are with us. We worship you. You are Lord over the storm. Amen.